Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities in the pursuit of love, peace, and happiness with your host, Rafika and Brother James. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Keys 107 Network. I am your co-host, Rafika, and my co-host, Brother James, is in the building. Yes, yes, we are. And tonight, we are very, very, very excited to have a candid conversation about a topic that has um, been so dear to my heart and probably many of our listening audience out there. And so we really want the participation. We want folks to um, take this opportunity to listen in, but also to chime in as to their experience as being a parent or a friend, even a sibling of someone who's been incarcerated and how that has affected your life. So, Fika, how are you today? Well, James, I'm doing well. I'm doing well, and um, as you were saying in your, your hello, your welcome to our uh, listening audience, that this is a, a, a topic that I know touches so many people. I know that when we first scheduled Mona Lisa, um, when that show that we had to cancel due to technical difficulty, um, we had, I personally had two of my very close friends in, uh, share with me that their sons, and one of, their, one of the, my friend's son is in his 40s, and was a very a student, you know, on on the right track as as what society says you have to be on the right track. So he definitely was doing what he was supposed, supposed to do, but is now incarcerated, and she is all broken up. And it's kind of like when the child goes to prison, the family goes to prison with that person. And I think when it's an adult, it's hard, but when it's a child, it's just devastating. So I just I can't even wrap my head around it. You know, I have my experience with a a family member who was incarcerated. And I know that um, I felt like I was doing time with him, not really understanding, because I was very young, the emotional toll that it was taken on me, but I did watch and I did experience. I felt that I absorbed it, the pain that my parents went through dealing with this part of their family life. So I think uh, we should um, whew, go to uh, the healthy tip of the day because our organic soul chef, Medea Allen, is on standby and she's going to deliver it. She's going to bring it like nobody can. And then we'll bring in Mona Lisa. All right. The Keys 107 and com presents the healthy tip of the day. The healthy tip of the day is to schedule rest periods in your day just as you would for other appointments. Leaving time in your schedule for rest instead of activity is like hitting a reset button for your mind and body. 
A great way to do this is to take 15 minutes out of your day just to sit and do nothing. Taking time to pause can improve your mood and help you feel more refreshed and focused. Today's healthy tip of the day has been brought to you by wellness expert Medea Allen. I invite you to learn more about me and my services at www.organicsoulchef.com. Amazon.com and on Kindle. So get your copy today. For more information, visit them online www.thefluffamily.com. Now, 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 back to the keys. 107 with your host, Rafika and Brother Jay. And just want our listening audience to know that there are no prisons on Cloud Cumulus where the fluffs live. All right. Okay. So go ahead, James, and give us a little background on Mona Lisa, and I'll let her know when her mic is live. Well, you know, um, Mona Lisa is a a mom first, a wonderful business and creative mind. She is um, involved in in the entertainment field in terms of communication, and she is a business owner, a proud uh owner of a, uh, an establishment that is doing extremely well. But, you know, uh, Rafika, I don't want to go too much into uh, what she has done in the past because I want to bring her on to talk about what is happening with her right now in her life, the, 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 the beauty and the pain of being a parent of a child that's incarcerated. Mona Lisa, your mic is live. Uh, please check in with us. Good evening, everybody. How is it going? Oh. We are wonderful. We are so excited to make this show happen today with no hitches. <laughs> uh-huh, I know, right? I, I, you know, sometimes the uh, the universe has its strange way of blocking things, and for whatever reason, you know, if we just keep pushing through, it, it's going to happen. So that's Absolutely. what I do. Yeah. I keep pushing. Yeah, you know, we've been doing this long enough to know that when the technology is not going to happen, it just is just the way it is, and you just have to go with it. But I remember in the early days of uh, Mona Lisa, when when the technology would break down, it would be like all inside of me, you know. <laughs> oh my God, yes, the world would end. I know. <laughs> yeah, but we're good. We're good. We just called you and rescheduled, and here we are. That's right. Thank That's you right. for having me. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, so, well, you know, I think, James, I have to ask, um, before we get started, is your daughter currently incarcerated? Yes, she is, and she's not okay. a kid, uh, but she is a, she is my child. She's That's 23 right. years old. Okay, yeah. okay. James, go ahead. Well, you know, I want to take it back, you know, uh, Mona Lisa, because none of us, you know, not many of us anticipate our children going into prison. We don't want to see that far down the line. Um, but let's talk about the early days, the days where you, the promise, the the joy, the laughter, and everything was okay. Talk about that 
period of your life and her, that period of her life, and then where did this sudden transition take place, and how it actually causes a, a shift in dynamics in both you and her life? That's interesting. Okay, I'm glad you said that. Well, you know, Sierra um, was, to me, a very, very creative um, and special kid. Um, She was not in any way, shape, or form abnormal, in my opinion. Um, She was born and raised in a Montessori school. After we took her out of Montessori school, she stayed in private schools um, until she got into junior high. When she got to junior high, um, that's when we decided to take her out and give her what we called a balance. Uh, by putting her into, um, it's a public school, but it's um, uh, what they call high-achieving public schools in Atlanta, Georgia. We have to actually have to test in, um, and it's usually based for the higher, um, you know, creative minds and uh, those who are just a little bit more different and uh, a little more higher-achieving but still want to be in school. Um, and um, while she was um, growing up, uh, Sierra was just a, a very happy-go-lucky kid. She was like what I call my mother, my little mother Teresa. She always wanted to fix everything, make everybody better, save the lost, help the hurting, do for the poor. And God forbid, if you didn't do it around her, she would let you know something was on her brain. She was not happy about it. So she was funny. She was funny growing up. I mean, she made me have a heart uh, for mankind that I did not have before she was born. Um, and I really feel like it came came through her and from her. And um, as she got a little bit older, I, I kind of got concerned about that. I got uh, concerned, and that's why we decided to put her into what we call the balanced life, because we felt like she had become so far left um, on, you know, trying to take care of people, trying to help people, uh, trying to be the Mother Teresa of everyone's life, that we felt like if she didn't start to see all sides of the world, that that was actually going to cripple her, you know, um, and, um, you know, make her, because she was an only child, make her have to want to reach out um, to be loved by, by, by people based on what she could do for them. So that made us a little nervous, uh, us being her father uh, and myself. And um, and her aunts and uncles and cousins, we all kind of saw that. And so, you know, she gets into junior high school and things start to change. She starts to get into groups of kids that, you know, apparently are different than her. Um, and they're starting to do things that are not pleasing. Um, for instance, skip school, uh, get caught smoking weed, things like that, right? She never was the one who got caught, but they got caught. And so I thought that, oh, she's not doing anything because she's not getting caught up in these things as well. It's just her friendship circle. And um, I kind of just, you know, let it go by the wayside and just kept watching it, you know, side-eyeing it, trying to see, you know, what was really happening. And, um, you know, Sierra began to um, show signs of, Rebellion, uh, right about at the age of 16 and a half, which let's be honest, okay? Mm-hmm. Almost all teenagers do that. Even we Absolutely. did that to our parents, right? Oh, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. <laughs> I bet you if my dad could get on the radio today, he'd be like, oh, what did Mona Lisa put me through? Um, that's a book, a movie, a series, and let's keep going. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just she started to I, she started to do things like come home with a tattoo after I told her she wasn't allowed to. You know, and she would do things that, you know, just was the typical basic, you know, teenage stuff. It wasn't anything to me that was outside of the norm. And so I felt like, okay, we're still going down the right road here. Everything's good. And then one day I get a call from her teacher and her teacher says, you know, Sierra's really an overachieving kid. You really ought to have her tested. She's bored. And I'm going, "Um, that's a strange call. 
But I decided mm-hmm. to do exactly what she said. Got her tested and found out that Sierra's IQ was 8% lower than Einstein's. Mm. And it explains so much. I'm trying to shorten the story, but it explains so no, no, much no. about about her behavior, you know, and about how she was starting to transition and change and become this, uh, I, I call it my beautiful butterfly that was coming out of her cocoon. Um, and, you know, while you're in the cocoon, everything is so ugly, but as you're coming out, it starts to become beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just was, I started to see a lot. And so consequently, um, we went through several things and we finally decided, okay, we're going to let you test out. And we let, it, we let her test um, to see if she was college material at the age of 16 and a half. And certainly she was. Um, so she ended up getting her GED, passed it the first time with a 4.2. You can't go any higher than that. She was in college like two and a half weeks later after she did that at the Art Institute of Atlanta and doing extremely well. For the first year and a half, she stayed on the dean's list at a 4.0. And then here comes the world of problems about the second year of college, mm-hmm. Sierra starts to disappear, not answer her phone, you know, just things that were obvious uh, to me that were problematic. And, and I'm not an innocent angel. I, too, was a kid at one point that tried drugs, that, you know, rebelled against my father and uh, did a lot of things that, you know, probably should have landed me under the jail. But by the grace of God, you know, I still was able to be saved for some reason. Um, so that, you know, I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I, I didn't end up going in. And um, sh- I, I saw that these things were starting to change. She started to lose an am- amazing amount of weight, um, like quickly, uh, about 25 pounds mm-hmm. in one month. Uh, and then her hair started to look crazy. She started to act crazy. And I was clear, she's on drugs. So I made her move back home um, from college. And... Um, she was home for about maybe three and a half to four weeks. And while she was home, I had to fly to L.A. to film a, a uh, President Obama uh, A-list celebrity commercial, which in my opinion was putting me at the top of my career. So here I am at, you know, having what I think is the best moment of all time in my career, you know, filming with A-list celebrities for the President of the United States, you know, his campaign. Uh, for television, and then I get a call. And I, and this call, it was the most devastating call I could ever imagine any parent could get. My daughter is 18 years old. She had just turned 18 a couple of months, um, uh, and then I get the call saying she's in jail. Mm. Mm. I can't even begin to express to you what that no. felt like. 3,000 uh-huh. miles away. We heard the silence on the phone anything. because we all could feel that pain. You know, that's that's real. I mean, you you, you it's, undes- it's indescribable. It's indescribable. Absolutely. Yeah. It's something that you know most parents absolutely never expect to get, or some do, because let's face it, there everybody doesn't have, you know, a lifestyle that is you know uh, what I call. Um, the average, the norm. Some people right. do come from problematic lifestyles. Some people come from, you know, generations of, of those who've been incarcerated. And it kind of, to them, is the norm. It is even to the point of, you know, um, if you go, you get your stripes almost, you know. And, you know, it just it just took me for a loop because it was I had never known anybody in prison. 
I didn't have any friends in prison, didn't have any family members. It just didn't know anybody. And so for this call to come through, I thought she was absolutely joking because she mm. called me and she goes, Mom, I, I need to tell you something. And are you sitting down? And I said, yeah, I, I am. What's up? I'm in the middle of filming. Like, what's going on? And she goes, Mom, I'm in big trouble and I need your help. And she begins to cry and just tell me that, you know, she's in jail. And I said, first of all, if this is an April Fool's joke, because it was April, it was in April. I said, this is an April Fool's joke, and you and I are going to have some words when I get home. She goes, no, 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 I'm serious. I said, wait a minute. I watch TV, and I know that when you get a call from somebody in prison, it always says, you're getting a collect call from such and such and such in this yeah. facility. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, girl, you're playing with me. Stop playing. I just wanted it to be a joke so bad, right? So and she bad, goes, yeah. She had this she had a knack of always playing those kind of jokes on me, you know, like I've been arrested mom and I'm sitting here with the cops. I would be, it was a joke. And, and, and I said, you know, it's not funny, you know, and she tells me, you know what, mom, this time I'm, I'm serious. They let me call you. They gave me my one call and that's this, you've got to get me an attorney. I can't tell you over the phone what I did, but just know I'm guilty. I did something that I, am, I, I admitted. I turned myself in. They didn't have to come get me, and, and you just got to come help me. And I just couldn't believe it. I was floored. Oh, that was my next question. Was she guilty? So, yeah, she was. And it seems yeah, like she, she wanted was. to she take responsibility a... for that, huh? Yeah, she um, um, thought about it for a while. Um, I guess she went on the run, and that could explain the reason why I couldn't find her for two weeks. Um, and she went on the run, and, and I think she thought about hiding, like her co-defendants basically wanted to do. They got caught up in an armed robbery scenario, um, and they were robbing to feed their drugs, um, their drug mm-hmm. addiction. They were caught up on a drug called Molly, um, which it, I don't know if you know about this drug, but this drug is pretty serious amongst these young kids. and yes. All the rap songs and everybody, mm-hmm. you know, talking about how cool it is, but you know, it's like $150 every time you do this stuff, and it lasts wow. two to three days, and the addiction level is after you've done it two to three times, it's like a 97% addiction uh, rate after that, meaning you'll want it. You can't just pull away from it. And then kids are dying off of that drug left and right from dehydration because it, it, it instantly dehydrates you. And because you're so lost. Are you guys there? Oh, we definitely there. I'm taking oh, over. I I lost you. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. No. Yeah, you know, because they're they're just dying left and right. And so, you know, it's a pretty serious drug. It's very addictive. Um, and these kids think it's cool to lace their cigarettes and their, their, their weed and, um, you know, lace everything with it and smoke that and then go have these rave parties and go to these clubs where, you know, they start seeing stuff and then they have illicit behavior amongst themselves and they just become free. They call it their new religion. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can just tell you the little bit that I know about it. I worked in, in the school systems in here in Long Island, New York, and Molly is one of those drugs that is hard to detect, but you can tell because, like you said, the students are always thirsty, walking around with bottles of water and and always thirsty. That's when you can kind of tune in to who's using and who's not. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't either. I wish I'd have paid attention. I didn't know anything about that drug. They were so new back then. That was five years ago. I had Mm -hmm. no idea. Wow. So now, now this is this is incredible. You get this news. You know, as a mom, your 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 natural instinct is to jump into action and try to save her, to try to 
defend her, to try to help her. What was your next course of action? What was your feeling? You know, were you uh, were you frozen at this point? Talk to us about your state of mind once you received this this news. I was in. I had to go back to the studio and finish filming this commercial the next day, then leave. And while I was in there, I was just numb because I just could not imagine that this was happening to me and my child. And I was like, how could I not have detected this? What could she have possibly done? Because at the time, I still didn't know what it was. I didn't know what the problem was. I was like, what could she have possibly done? You know, she she had everything she needed. She had a car. She was getting a weekly allowance. She was in college. It was being fully paid for. Her books were being paid for, and she had a part-time job. So it's like, mm-hmm. dude, what could she have done? This is mm-hmm. what I was beating myself up over. And then, I, and then as I got on the plane, um, I'm literally on the plane trying to, you know, get Wi-Fi on the plane and have conversations with attorneys via email to try to vet through attorneys to kind of see, you know, what the cost is going to be. And then these people are telling me fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to mm-hmm. represent her. And I'm going, what in God's name? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, now I'm going to have to drain my savings account. Now I'm going to have to think about something other than a public defender, or should I go public defender? So now I'm crossed between, should I drain my savings account, or should I use a public defender? But I know what they say about public defenders. They are just a line of bull, and they're not going to do anything but railroad her right into the prison, and she won't have any real assistance. So what do I do? And so then I'm beating myself up around you know, how to make that decision. And I'm calling everybody I know. Mm. And, um, you know, that's, that's a really tough decision that a parent has to make. And imagine when you have no money and nowhere right. to turn to, to get an actual right. attorney and you have to depend on the public defender. Good yes. luck. Good, Good luck. luck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good luck. But so you're Good looking luck. at it from, from two points of view. On the one hand, you, you're, you're asking yourself the abyss question of why. And I say that because it's just like it's a big hole. You want to know why. You want answers. And in, in the back of your mind, you sort of know that you're not really going to get the full answer. But you still crave the conversation on what happened. How did you get to this point? Absolutely. And it was, quite frankly, very embarrassing. Uh, it was very shameful. And mm-hmm. it, as t- as time went on, guilt started to set in because, oh boy. you know, it's embarrassing because one, I, I you know, w- what could she have done? <laughs> Shameful because it's like <laughs> we all know what society thinks of those who commit crime. Right. So we know what I'm being thought of and what she's being thought of right off the bat. And then guilty after time went on, a couple of weeks to say, mom. Mean, meaning me, I'm asking me, what did you do to her? What did I not do to her? What did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? How did this happen? You know, I was just, I was beating myself up like you would not believe with yeah. shame and guilt. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, w- I want to take it back just a moment because some things I heard as you were talking earlier that you said, why could I have seen these things? Why, why wasn't the signs so, uh, uh, so prominent to me? Like you said, there was a lack of communication. There was some physical changes in her. Uh, there was the disappearing acts, and there was that strange behavior, right? 
but you didn't see it all together. You see them in spurts, uh, and you couldn't actually bring it together to say that this is a real problem um, brewing here. Talk to us about that revelation when you actually put it all together and you've seen it now, um, that it has emerged into something that you now have to fight with all of your mind, heart, and soul. Mm. When I brought Sierra home from college, I sat her down, and she used to always come home on Sundays with her. She'd always bring a a plethora of friends. (laughs) I never knew who was going to show up. But on Sunday, my house turned into the community house that whoever she felt like didn't have a place to eat, didn't have a home, didn't have whatever in college, she brought them to the house. And a couple of Sundays before I brought her home, um, I sat her down because the night before that, I sat the whole table down. These were all some of her really good friends. And the night before that, I had the strangest dream. And I had a dream. And I won't even hide the fact that without a doubt, I'm considered gifted. And when I say gifted, I mean prophetic gifted, meaning mm-hmm. that I can see. And I see things. And this is probably the reason why I was felt so guilty because I'm like, how could I not see this? Why was it not shown to me? Uh, in the spirit. However, um, I, I had a I had a dream, and in this dream, it specifically showed me that somebody in my household, either my stepdaughter, my step uh, son, or my daughter, was going to go to jail. I was going to get a call, and I couldn't make their face out in the dream, and I was not going to be able to fix anything, and they were going to have to pay the price. And I mean, it, it got deeper as far as the explanation. But I sat them all down and I said, listen, if you guys are doing anything, I want to let you know right now that this is like a forewarning. And I feel that I need to tell you guys this. You may think it's doom and gloom. You may think I'm a weirdo. You may think, oh, mom's on some extra stuff. But I, let, I want you to know I can sense something is coming and I won't be able to fix it. So whatever you guys are doing, do you need to stop it dead in its tracks? And then I asked them. Could I cover them with prayer and could I share with them, you know, some positive vibration and affirmational thoughts that could help them if they were in the midst of anything? And then I came straight out and said, if anybody's on drugs, trust me, I've been there. I've done that. If you need my help, I will get you an an addiction counselor. I'll put you in rehab. I'll let you live here until you get through whatever it is. If anybody has any of these problems, stand up right now. Raise your hand and let's let's deal with this. And all of them looked at me like I was flat out crazy including my daughter, and they all said, no, 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 we're all good, we're all good. And so I'm saying, well, does anybody want me to cover them with, you know, uh, positive vibes, prayers, affirmations? No, we're all good, we're all good. And that was unusual, too, because normally they would want that. Yeah. So I felt I felt a very dark feeling come over me at that point, and I knew I was going to face something. I just didn't know what it was and who it was. And... um So as I started seeing these signs, I still wasn't pinpointing it was my daughter. I was just pinpointing that she was definitely dealing with some drugs. And I came straight out and I told her, I know you're on something. Whatever it is, you know, you need to let me know so I can help you. And she kept saying, Mom, I'm just partying. I'm not doing anything out of the norm. And I said, Sierra, you've lost 25 pounds, honey. I can Mm. see that you are like like overnight losing weight, I, I, you know, I'm not born yesterday. You really need to come out and tell me the truth. Matter of fact, you know what? I'm going to cut off your allowance because that, that's probably what's taking. Give me your credit cards and I'm cutting your allowance off. And so that was $100 a week. Plus she had a gas credit card and she had an emergency credit card. And, of course, when I get the credit card back, they're completely maxed out on both sides, which 
I didn't know because she gets the bills and she was paying it every month. So that's when I realized, too, when I got those cards back and they were maxed out, I knew I was really in for something then at that point. And, you know, that was basically all that I was I had time to uncover before it all just crashed on me. So wow. now she didn't realize that she lost the weight, right, because she's, she's in the moment and she's, she's not looking at herself. So when she came around you, she was kind of trying to act like everything was cool. But you could yeah. see that something physically was wrong. Right. Well, think it's you might. Serious thing. No, I'm just. Sometimes I just don't know. It's 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 the scariest thing for a parent. We have a 16 year old Mona Lisa, um, and you know we're at we're 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 on the brink of that that era of, in in their life when things change and how they socialize. Oh, they change. But to. you know, I did a lot of research and I found out that at that age, it's called individualization and self-identification that they're going through. And what that means, in short, is that they are trying to break away from what mommy and daddy has told them they should be, taught them that they should be, has been reared to be. And they are now trying to break out of this shell and become who they say they are without Mm -hmm. mommy and daddy. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Self-discovery, so to speak. You know, um, right. this is it, it, it's beautiful that you talked about the gift and um, most of us don't talk about that often. But what God has done for all of us is give us a parental instincts and it comes to us in, in various ways and is revealed. But what blinds us sometimes to the gifts is our closeness to the people whom he may be given us a sign or a warning for. So he was, God was talking through you or trying to show you that you needed to reach out and help somebody. But because of your closeness to your daughter, you could not see right then that it was her and you was looking, but you could not see. You know? Oh, that's an understatement. Best way yeah. to say it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I you know, I kind of feel the same way. I had just had a, a, a one of my sons was just transferred to a place called Attica upstate two weeks ago, you know, Hmm. and we, you know, this is my namesake. Um, We try to communicate and I think I'm making headway. Um, And for the life of me, I understand why he's there. He understands why he's there. But when he was a teenager, and even before he became a teenager, it was the dialogue uh, between he and I. I don't think we were hearing each other. Oh, or, as they say, I know what you mean. They, we weren't feeling each other. Not that we were right. enemies. We didn't fight, but he had that self-actualization. I'm a big, I'm a big dude at 14 years old. You know, I hit hard. I'm running things. I'm like, oh, no, you're not a man yet. You're growing to be a man. But there's a right. breakdown. Um, had I foreseen that this, he would get caught up in these things and God has blessed us that he's getting an early release and so we're going to pave the way for him to, to rebuild his life. And I, I know that has to be prominent on your mind too. How do I help uh, restore her life when she comes back home? Um, and it's just, it's just terrible. But we never see it 
when it's happening, like we can't forecast it or we don't want to believe that this can happen to us or our child. So this is deep because I believe if we were standing in a, a, in a big auditorium right now and thousands of people are in there and we ask them to raise their hand and say, how many of us have experienced losing our child or children to the criminal justice system? I would believe that maybe over 70% of the people in that room will raise their hand because this is it's an epidemic, and most of it is being spurred upon by illicit drugs in our community. And I was just speaking at the Women of Excellence Conference in New Orleans uh, a couple of months ago uh, with Pastor Deborah Morton and Bishop Paul Morton, and I asked that question. I said, before, I want to know, how many of us in this room, so that I don't feel alone, because I don't mm. want to stand up here and be, you know, talking to myself. If there's nobody in here who can relate, then I'll just, you know, I can leave right now. And I said, how many of us actually know someone in prison, have someone who is currently incarcerated that is a family member, or God forbid, your own child, whether they are 14, 15, 18, 19, 20, or 71, your own child is in prison. Raise your hand. It was probably maybe eight or 900 people in the room, and I have to tell you, about 60% of those people raised mm. their hands, and that floored me. That mm. floored me because that was the first time in all of the times that I've spoken, which is now about 20 or 30 times since, since Sierra's gone in that I've actually had the chance to speak to audiences, that I actually decided to temperature check the audience and see who's with me out there. And when I saw that, for the first time, I, didn't know, I no longer felt alone in the game. I no longer felt like, oh, woe's me, or nobody understands, and no, I can't break through this wall, and I'll never make any changes. That's when it instantly ended for me, when I could see that there is a world of people in the same amount of pain and experiencing the same situation that I am experiencing. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to shift a little bit, because I know there's something that's that, that you have done that most of us have not done or probably would not dare to do. And that is the experience (laughs) that you volunteered to go and see what prison life was all about. Are you ready to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Tell us, how did that come about? How in your mind, how did, how did you come up with that concept? And how did it actually work? (laughs) Oh, like right. when I was talking like to what's some wrong people with me right <laughs> yeah you know when I was telling some people about you know your life what I know um from when we met at the women doing it big uh conference and reading your material your media they were like well why would she do that and I was like well why not <laughs> you know it's like I don't I'm I don't still know saying why I'm still is. asking myself why when I I'm not so <laughs> So for everybody who doesn't know, um, I went into jail undercover. I went in for 60 days, and I know some people said I wouldn't even go in for an hour. Well, let me tell you, those 60 days were excruciating. I cannot Mm. even imagine how people do years, okay? And the way it all happened was is that after my daughter got incarcerated the first year, I went into a a massive amount of hiding. Um, I didn't tell hardly anybody around me and I kept living life as normal. And so no one really knew, but inside when I would go home and inside my mind, my body, my soul, 
I would just fall apart the minute I walked in the door or I, I was alone at any point because I knew that I was living a secret that nobody knew about, that if they only knew, what would they say? Mm. And so during that first year to 18 months, um, I tried to find ways to learn how to cope. And I started teaching myself, you know, coping mechanisms and studying, understanding why do kids do what they do um, as far as their actualization and self-identification uh, breakouts. And why do people cre- cre- uh, commit crimes? And what is drug addiction about? And what is overparenting? And how did I become that person? Because I was certainly a person who overparented and didn't even know what that meant until I started to study. And as I started doing all these studies, I started to realize um, in my quiet time, with the Almighty that I was not supposed to just keep this stuff to myself. I was supposed to share this. And in sharing it, I had no or no idea at the beginning stages how to do it. And then one day it hit me to open up an organization. And at first I called it Prison Mom. And um, when I opened this organization uh, at that point, which was called Prison Mom, I was basically trying to talk to mothers who had children incarcerated because I just wanted to find my tribe. I just wanted to find the people who understood what I was going through. And as I started to find those people, the dads started to come out the woodwork and the sisters started to come out the woodwork and the uncles and the cousins. And they're like, hey, don't leave us behind. We're the family mm-hmm. of the incarcerated ones. Yes. And so then I decided to change the name to Parents with Incarcerated Children. And then we present different products and uh, different um, uh, video series and different events and stuff like that that helped the family as a whole. And as I was doing that, um, you know, I was creating videos around getting over the guilt and shame and helping to understand how to navigate the judicial system so that you can understand what are the steps. Then I wrote an ebook around it that's free um, that anybody could download. And that's how A&E found me. A&E is a network. And they were looking for people who obviously had a presence that would make sense for them to do this. And they asked me, uh, they came to me and they said, how would you like to go to jail for a year? That's how it started. Uh For a year. You had to negotiate a plea deal on that, huh? I said, yo, um, you really have me twisted. The answer is no to the no to the no, no, no. Are you kidding? And they go, and they go, no, seriously, you know, we really want to do an undercover project, and we just don't think it can be done in anything less than a year. And I said, well, you know, because I'm a TV producer, and I said, and I do TV commercials, and now I'm doing television programming. But prior to that, I was doing TV commercials and, and uh, um, digital online videos and stuff like that. And I said to them, listen, I'm a producer, and I think all of your producers need to go back to the table and come up with a different scenario, and you need to <laughs> give me a call at another point in time because – you guys aren't working hard enough on creatives here. You got to do something different. Yes. And I asked them, I said, you know, why would you want to do this? You know, I mean, what is going to be the end result? Because to me, the only way it makes sense um, to talk about going into jail um, for any amount of time would be that we are going to look at what is right, wrong, and indifferent, come out, talk about it, and make changes. Is that what the crux of this show is going to be about? They assured me that they assured me that in fact that is what the reason for the show was, and that they felt like me, as a parent who had never really known what it was like, how was I able to relate to my audience? And wow. they asked me what what was my statistics of uh, the people who are part of the organization, and I was very honest with them. You know, um, 
it is a it is a, a, a typical family that's African American. Um, it is a typical family that has one or more or two who've been incarcerated within their families. The average household income is usually somewhere under forty thousand dollars a year. Um, you know, it's usually a fatherless or a motherless, or it's either a single mother home. Um, you know, we had a lot of stats, and she's like, well, you're none of the above. How are you actually able to even relate to these people? And mm. I said, you know, you just hit you just hit a button. You just hit a sore spot in me that I was beating myself up over um, during that time I was in hiding, saying, how could I ever help anybody when I don't even know this lifestyle? How, how right. can I help anybody? Yes. Because... You know, the reality is, is when you don't, when you've never experienced incarceration, all you stay in is a state of judgment about what you think it is. Or what, or what Versus, the media has, has, has shared with us. Right. Because it's, they to be honest with you, picture. as soon as you say prison, I think of Oz. And I'm, ter- and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> oh, God, no. you go all the way. Oz. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, Oz. Woo. That's that, yeah. That show, that show terrified me. Yes. Well, is it? I mean, so tell me what you experienced. Oh wow, my daughter's actually calling me right now. I wish I could connect her into the call. You can. Oh, you can connect her. Hold on, I'll do it. Hold on. You're listening to the Keys 107. This is Brother James and Sister Rafika, and we have Mona Lisa Johnson. And maybe Sierra on the line shortly, maybe from prison, to talk with us online. Isn't that a unique experience only on the keys? That's the power of technology. And I'm glad you came in because my mind just, um, I was just stuck with that whole concept of actually being in prison behind bars. And I guess when when you know you just can't get out, it's a whole different, you know, experience. If you're going there as a reporter and you're just doing a, like a walkthrough, that's one thing. But when you're in there and you know that you are not getting out of there for whatever length of time you and what you are susceptible while you're there. And, and I think one of the things on, the family goes through. Mona, Le- Mona Lisa, you I back got online? Here. Beautiful. Yes. Sierra, are you there? Yeah. Sierra. Hi, Sierra. I'm Brother James. All right, you are live on an internet radio show, and we are actually interviewing your mom, so this is very timely. I know your time may be short, but first and foremost, we want to tell you that we love you. We know that it ain't easy, but be strong because you have good help on your hands, on your side. Your mom is there, and you're going to be doing all right. So first of all, tell us how you're doing and share with us anything that you feel that's on your heart at this moment. Um, I mean, I'm doing all right. After you do a certain amount of time, you you start to get used to things, but it's always going to be hard because they never treat you like humans anymore. They mm-hmm. take away certain aspects of your life that you're used to. You start to gratify things that you didn't even think that you would gratify before. Yes. And it's really hard to earn respect, and it's hard to... to can you not be so loud, please? Um... It's hard to be the person you were and be able to walk with your head high without people trying to downgrade you all the time or judge you or look at you any different. So it's, it's, you've got to be a really strong person. And I have my times where I snap and I slip, 
just like the rest of them, but I'm trying and I'm growing because I was a child when I got here, but I'm growing every day. Beautiful, beautiful. How much longer do you have there? Um, by law, I mean by paper, I have five years left. Mm-hmm. I've already been locked up five years, but my mom's working on a lot, and I think I'll be out within like the next year or two. At least I pray okay. I will. But Georgia don't like to play with uh, sentences. They don't. They don't like to give up easily. Mhm. Well, how How are you spending your time while you're there? What are you giving the opportunity to train, go to school, or what is it that you you do to keep your time, your occupy your time? Now I focus on my schooling. I'm in college, in two different colleges for two different degrees. And that's what I focus on, and I focus on a lot of business. I come up with a lot of different innovation techniques, so when I get out, I have things to rely on. But when I first got locked up, that wasn't my focus, so I'm just now starting to kind of get in that mindset, and it's easier for me now. But two, three years ago, I wouldn't have had that same answer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is there one thing that you want to share with your mom or into the, the, uh, the listening audience? in terms of your relationship with, with your family and how it's so important. Can you share the, anything on that on, on that uh, note? Um, I would say that if you have family that's locked up, it is in, very important to at least communicate with them. I think that some people leave their families because they think all they want from them is money so they can get sore and eat. But it's not even about that. It's about the fact that when you're isolated from the world and when you're taken out of society, you're literally turned into something else. You're turned into a number. You're turned into something that you weren't prepared to be turned into. And the only thing that can keep you grounded with the free world is your family. Because even the people in here, they can encourage you, they can inspire you, but at the end of the day, they can't keep you grounded because they're in the same situation you're in. But I've I've seen people who have to do their time without family, and, and it's tough. It's hard. It's not easy. And I don't think anybody should go through that, regardless of what you're in here for. I've seen baby killers. I've seen child molesters. I've seen all type of stuff. But at the end of the day, people change. You know, people don't, they're not the same way they were when they first got locked up. They grow up. They move on. They forgive themselves. Some people do. Some people don't. But at the end of the day, they need somebody to get anywhere. So the, the term that we use, correctional facility or correction system, you, do you, you're saying that you do see folks are, are being corrected from their their behave, past behavior. Is that what you're saying? It, I it's see working? people being corrected only because of their own willpower, not because of the system. I was corrected because of my mother. If it wasn't for the fact that she forced my change upon me, I probably wouldn't have changed. And I appreciate her for that, and I love her dearly for that. But people around here get locked up at 17, 16, 15. It was actually a girl who just got went to the TC. She's been locked up since she was 13 years old. She's like 20, I want to say 25, 26 now. She said she's coming back to prison because this is all she knows. They don't teach you anything else here. They don't give you any other skills. All they teach you to do is wake up, get ready for inspection, do what they tell you to do, shut the hell up and keep it pushing. That's all they teach you to do. They don't correct you. They don't help you. The officers nine times out of ten are only here to make some money. They can give two mm-hmm. Fs about anything else. You know, there mm-hmm. is no correction here. Okay. Well, I'm going to turn. I don't know how much time you got, but Rafika and Mona Lisa, 
chime in and, and, and communicate with uh, with Sierra, please. Well, I, I think um, we can go to commercial and give uh, Mona Lisa some time to talk with her daughter. Um, we got a little more time left in the show. Um, Mona Lisa, if you want to do that, that's fine. No, we can keep her on the phone. She'll call me back in a little while because we've got about four more minutes left. Oh, um, okay. Okay, you. good. Okay. Okay, yeah, let's see. okay. I, I, I'm really, you know, my daughter impresses me to hear her talk um, and to hear her, you know, be so eloquent in her thought process. It proves to me that all of the work that we're doing together is actually, mm-hmm. you know, making a change. You know, Sierra, one of the things I wanted you to share with them is, you know, what is, what is, what does an inmate think about day in and day out That's when they think about the day that, the day they're going to walk out those doors? I mean, how do you process that in your own mind? You don't think about it. I honestly don't think. We, I know for a fact that the people I'm around, the people I've come across, if they have time to do, it's not something you think about because a lot of these women will never walk out of here. It's not something you can think about. I'm in a maximum security prison. I'm not around a bunch of short-timers. So it's not something you worry about, more or less. You try to think about other things and, and create other hobbies that can become a pastime because at the end of the day, you can't stress about walking out of these doors or these gates when there's nothing that can get you out of here before then. There's nothing that you can do physically that can get you out early. You know, in other states, they let you work and get time off. They let you do stuff like that. You can't do that in Georgia. So when you're stuck in here, you're stuck in here. And I don't, I don't think that it's depressing to think of when you're going to walk out those gates. I personally can't handle the fact that when I walk out of there, I'm going to be thrown out as an adult and I came in here as a child. I don't know what mm. to handle. I don't know. It's certain things that I, I I don't even know how to pay bills. I don't know how to do taxes. I don't know how to do any of these things. But when I walk out of here, the world is going to expect me to know how to do those things because I will be potentially potentially older than 25 when I walk out of here when I was 18 when I came in here. That's a lot of life to lose, you know, and it's a lot of things that I have not learned, and it's a lot of things that I worry about, like the fact that when you go and eat here, you have 10 minutes to eat a full tray. I worry, what if I go to a restaurant and I can't even act like a normal person anymore? They don't they don't teach you stuff like this. They don't teach you how to get back to the regular world. So it's, I try not to think about it because when I think about it, it just it just creates depression, you know? To understood. Be completely isolated. Uh, understood. I got you. So, Sierra, how do you feel about um, um, the people that you affected and what for what got you in there? I mean, you know, have you had time to think about that? And if so, what do you feel? I honestly don't think I have affected anybody. I think my mom has. I've, I don't take pride in anything I've done. I don't think that I'll be able to affect anybody. I, I, I do hope that when I get out I can talk to kids and let them know, you know, this ain't what you want. This is not what you want because they don't care if you're a child or not. They'll give you that number and keep it pushing. But I don't think that I have touched anyone. The people I come across, they're touched because of my mom, and I give her all gratitude towards that. Mm-hmm. And and then what about what about the um, the crime um, that you committed? Have you had a chance to think about that? And how do you feel about that now? Oh, I feel like the dumbest person in the world for doing what I did the dumbest to have taken a momentary joy ride with somebody saying, hey, we're going to get high and we're going to do this and not think twice about it. And now I'm locked up for 10 years for something that lasted 10 minutes. And I regret it wholeheartedly. Um, 
I wish I would have never done it. I, I regret it. I regret it. I just try not to beat myself up for it. I don't want it to change. I don't try to make it change who I am. Sierra, if you had a, if you could go back into that moment when those cuffs went on you and you was on that bus, what was going through your mind? What was going through my mind? You want the truth? Yes, the absolute <laughs> truth. Real, real talk. I'm 18. I got pink hair. I don't want to be nobody's bitch. Please take these cuffs off of me. Mm. <laughs> mm. See, I know she's. I know my daughter, and that was real but funny because that's how she is. She yeah. she will make light so that she can re- loosen herself up. But you know, she did have pink hair, and they called her Pinky. So it was very interesting that you know that she didn't think that she would be found or or figured out with pink hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was worried about. That's what the thoughts that were going through my mind. And then after that, soon after that, it was like, God, my mom is going to kill me. But honestly, I was a child when I got locked up. I didn't think, I didn't think about it the way I should have. It, it didn't, it didn't hurt me. It didn't hurt me until the time hit me, and I started having time to sit down and think. Originally, I was just like, well, you know, it is what it is. We did it. Now we got to do time. we got to get over it. But when they said them 10 years, I was like, whoa, you got to be playing. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Now, let me ask you, um, you've been there. You've you sort of, like, you sort of been there long, long enough to be um, not comfortable, but, you know, in a zone where you understand what prison life is all about. What do you see when a new inmate comes in, the leveling anxiety in them and the discomfort? Does other inmates come to help, hurt, or what is that experience like? Um, Women don't stick together like they should. I always say that I feel like the older women in this prison should take the younger ones like me under their wings and teach us things, but they don't. So that does discourage me, the fact that we're a bunch of women around each other and all we worry about is cattiness. We can't stick together to, to get our own rights done, let alone worry about each other, you know. And it does hurt me and it affects me, but it helps me want to even more when I get out help make a change because we can't help each other make a change. And the system does not make it any easier, meaning the the support staff. Yeah. Not at all. Not in the least bit. Um, I had a friend pass away on me in here, long-time friend, since the day I've been locked up. And I couldn't find a counselor anywhere to help me through that grievance. But when an officer killed themselves, there there was counselors everywhere. An officer that's not even allowed to tell us their name, not even allowed to spend more than two minutes of, of speaking time with us. You know, but I lived with this girl, and she was my best friend, and I cried on her shoulder, and there was not a counselor in sight. They don't, they don't, they really don't try to think of us first. They think of them first, but, you know, I I can't really, I'm not going to say I don't blame them, but I feel like it should be better techniques into which they treat us and the way that they handle us, because even though we may be in their eyes lesser than them, nobody is lesser than anybody. Nobody is lesser than anybody. We're all humans. We all breathe the same way. We can all think the same way. Some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life, the most creative people I've ever met in my life are in prison. You have one minute left. Well, that's nice the talking to y'all. beautiful, beautiful 
Sierra, thank you for sharing with us. We appreciate you. Yeah, and stay strong, my sister. Stay strong. Thank you. I appreciate that. Y'all too. Okay. Sierra, I love you, honey. You can call me back in like an hour. Okay, I will. I love you too, Mom. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The caller has hung up. Now, that is an original. We have never done that before. (laughs) And Mona Lisa, only you, the extraordinaire, producer extraordinaire, probably staged that. But, folks, I don't think No, I swear to you, I swear to you, I didn't. When I got her on the phone, she goes, Mama, please, I can't do You didn't prep me for this. Mama, please, I'm not ready. I said, Sierra, you're always ready. I made you ready. Girl, you got to get on the phone. Wow. Jeez. Okay. That was on time. And her spirit seems light. Was it always like that? Oh, God, no. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've had so many days with her where I was on my knees begging God to please save her soul, to please stop her from wanting to maybe kill herself, to please stop her from being depressed to send somebody in there, an older woman, to help her, protect her, anything. I mean, there's been days where I have been terrified of how she felt and was acting, you know, in her personality. She's gained Mm -hmm. weight. She's lost weight. She's had short hair, long hair. I mean, she's gone through a lot of different, you know, changes since she's been in it. But for the most part, she does get better and better and better, not worse. Okay. Well, I I heard strength. I heard strength in there. I heard... um, a woman who ha- who sees her her, uh, her 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 movement towards the good. You know, she she has grown. She's not a little girl anymore. Like she said, I was sixteen or was eighteen when I came in, right? She's but it's mm-hmm. it's it's been five years already. Twenty. She's twenty two, twenty three years old. She can see her womanhood, but she also I heard strength, but I also heard the fear of the unknown. The unknown is having being granted that freedom. And to be the woman that she she was born to be, and so that transition, you know, I know you're going to be there for her, and we hope to be there as well to help in any capacity that we can, because she is going to show the world her, the beauty that she has within her, the strength that she has within her, and just the creative mind she was born to be. So I am just grateful for that for this moment. Um, I am too I'm just really grateful for that Thank you And I want to make an announcement That um, all of the callers that are on the switchboard If you want to speak to Mona Lisa Share your story Ask her a question If you need some help Press the number one on your keypad So we know you want to talk And for those of you who are listening online And you want to join the conversation, the telephone number to call in is 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. We're going to go to a brief commercial break. We come back, Mona Lisa, you've got to talk about your book. All right. The Keys 107. We'll be right back. Fluff presents the alphabet is available on Amazon.com and on Kindle. So get your copy today. For more information, visit them online www.thefluffamily.com. 
to the Keys 107 with your host, Rafika and Brother James. We are live here on the Keys 107 network with uh, Mona Lisa Johnson. She is the founder of Parents with Incarcerated Children. And we have just had the awesome pleasure of talking to her daughter, Sierra. She's in prison, and she was able to call out, technology is amazing. Isn't it? And join us on air. And Mona Lisa, with her technology, just was like, well, I could bridge her in. And she did that. No holds barred in that conversation, and so appreciative. Well, we have a caller on the line, Mona Lisa, that wants to ask a question to you. Her name is Rain. And Rain, um, be advised, your mic is live. Please check in. Thank you. Hi, um, Mona Lisa. Hi, and so well, my name is Rain, and I just want to say I'm 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 so impressed by hearing your daughter speak, and and th- this this story is so amazing to me, and, and and the fact that you even you know did 60 days in and everything else. But but my question for you is this: is you know your daughter had a moment that happened for 10 minutes, and was she incarcerated under Georgia's strict uh, mandatory minimums? And is there anything that's being done to to try to change those mandatory minimums? I mean, I know you you have a new organization, um, Parents with Incarcerated Children, and I was wondering if your platform is making any movements towards having those laws and regulations um, looked at and changed. Absolutely. Thank you, Rain, for asking that question. Sierra was um, uh, convicted on a 10-year mandatory minimum sentence in Georgia uh, for armed robbery, and we thought we had absolutely no hope at making any uh, movements or changes towards any, um, uh, you know, early releases or differences until I did the show 60 Days In, where um, an attorney came out of the woodwork, several of them actually, but then I finally interviewed one who it just really showed me that there are ways around mandatory minimums if you have the proper um, case, you know, requirements. And ours happened to meet um, the case requirements. And so what we did was is we created um, uh, three different people that we put into this um, pilot, if you will, and she's one of them. Um, uh, National Incarceration Association, her son, um, the owner of that uh, organization, her son is one of them. And then another one that we're not allowed to mention at this point because, you know, um, the more that get gets out, the more people can actually stop what's happening. So we're very careful as to what we're saying in this pilot that we're putting together to try to get these sentences reduced and show that there is a way to do it um, through a very serious process of um, a development that we've put together that I can't really share with you just yet. I can just tell you that the minute this first person comes out in July, we're going to make the announcement. And once we make that announcement, then the second person should be coming out a year later. And then we're going to start talking um, to Georgia specifically about how they can go about reducing some of these mandatory minimums with the programs that we've set up. So, you know, we're keeping our fingers crossed, and, yes, we are working towards that. However, the advocacy part of it, you know, we're not really strong in that area yet. We're still looking that uh, for advocates to come uh, to us and say, hey, they would like to join the fight and really um, join our team. We, parent, uh, we partner with the National Incarceration Association. And they have two strong advocates on their team um, that fight in general about mass incarceration and the awareness of mass incarceration. So we're we're building one block at a time, one step at a time. Mm. Rain? Hi, yes, I'm still here. And, and, and just one more question. Is there anything that 
because um, it's troubling to me to hear that there could be such a loss in there and, and they don't have, you know, it seems like they don't have rights, you know, as prisoners in there because they're being treated as if they're they're less than, than human. You know, for an education purpose, is your daughter, you know, being as advanced as she was and she's in these educational classes, is that something that, that she's having to support on her own or is there like um, any type of, you know, assistance that we on the outside could do to help people who are deserving inside? Oh, wow, that's cool. Uh, what's your name again? You said Rain? Rain, yes. Rain. Okay, thank you, Rain. Um, it's a very interesting scenario what happens. Back in the 80s, um, back in the 80s, um, uh, inmates used to be able to get full college funding, and then the society went into an uproar and said, we will not pay for an inmate to commit a, co- a criminal to commit a crime, and um, then they get free college tuition while we're out here and we can't even put our kids through school. So mm. they stopped that. Oh, yeah, they stopped oh. it, and they meant they stopped it, okay? And, you know, quite frankly, um, I'm sure there were many of us who were on board with that back in the day until it happened to your family and our family. And then you start to look at that and you start to realize, hmm, you know, how do you actually um, uh, rehabilitate people? You know, if you look at research, research shows that rehabilitation first starts with education. Um, And if you're not educating uh, these people, all they're going to do is what they have always known. It's like what Einstein says when he says, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting different results. Yeah. So as an organization, Parents with Incarcerated Children started an educational fund. And so far, we've only been able to put four kids through college. They're not all the way through. They're in the midst of it. Um, And my daughter is one of them. Um, And we've been raising funds to actually help these families because, there are deserving inmates out there who want to change and who can go to college. And every one of these kids that we are supporting right now, where they're not kids, they're young adults, all, uh, one is 23, 27, and 32. Um, these people are all uh, 4.0 students. And online, you know, we run this campaign every single quarter to try to raise some money because there's no, you know, parents have to actually pay for it. It, For me, uh, to put Sierra through college, um, it cost me $1,750 per semester. That includes her books. And um, she goes online daily um, to class uh, through a pilot program that Georgia just started. Um, And then she also has some extended learning classes that she does through the mail and teaches herself uh, with the curriculum that they send over. So... Anything that anybody wants to do to help us, you know, go to Parents with Incarcerated Children, our Facebook or our website, and on there is our educational campaign where you can clearly uh, donate and help us. Okay. Can you repeat that so just in case someone didn't hear it? Sure. You can go to our website, Parents with Incarcerated Children. Um, All over there are posts about, you know, um, helping us with this educational fund. Or you can go to our website, pwicus.org. That's Parents with Incarcerated Children, us.org. And it's an acronym, pwicus.org. And um, there you can, uh, you can help us by making um, donations and support us to help send these deserving inmates. The key word is deserving because they mm-hmm. do have to 
prove prove by sending in letters, uh, by showing us their previous, um, you know, uh, educational records, and prove to us that they want to do this by maintaining a 3.5 or better. Mm-hmm. Well, May I Rain, ask one more question? Sure. I was going to ask you if you have one more question you'd like to ask. Go right ahead. <laughs> From from your from your journey on uh, sixty days in, what what would you say was the most mind blowing thing you discovered while you were uh, doing your sixty days? Hmm. Uh, the fact that I saw heroin for the first time in my life in jail. Oh. What do you mean saw seeing it? a needle? Seeing a needle oh. being administered from one person to another. With heroin, and not once, but a couple of times I saw that. That was really just mind-blowing to me. And then the fact that we slept on metal beds with a half-an-inch mattress um, that was more like a tarmac, um, that was mind-blowing to me, too, because it, it it just was all the way around inhumane. Wow. So they're doing the heroin in the cell, or is there a place where they do it? Right. Right in the cell, in the bathrooms, where there's no cameras. That's a whole nother conversation. Where do they get it from? How do they get it? I mean, how do you how do you have a habit in prison when you don't have? I mean, I I don't know. I'm in my head. Well, I can make it real short and sweet for you because remember we told remember I told you we went in there to uncover the good, bad, and in, in the in uh, indifferent. Um, and discuss the strategies around how did it happen, why did it happen, and how can we fix it. And several of the officers were let go of, fired, and released uh, because mm-hmm. they did find out that that is how the drugs were coming in, that is how the needles were coming in. And the fam- let's face it, some of these members, or some of these people that came in, were from families of you know um, drug users, and also some of them didn't have families at all. But they had created new world of families amongst themselves um, as they do drugs together. And so let's say, for instance, you know, one goes in and she may be the drug dealer's girlfriend. Well, while she's in, the drug dealer on the outside is going to make sure she gets what she needs. So he makes sure he gives it to, you know, he gives the money to the correctional officer. The correctional officer gets it in. And since then, uh, they've put body scanners into that particular jail that I was in now so they can't get anything in anymore, ever. Hmm. Well, that's good news. Right. That's good news. But, you know, if you're going to re- rehabilitate yourself, the last thing you need is to have access to drugs. Yeah. You know? But then you have that's to ask exactly. yourself, is the prison system as it is today and maybe yesterday, is it about reform or is it a business? In my opinion, it is absolutely a business. I will stand up to the rest for the rest of my life and say unequivocally, it is a business that is like a human farm. It is just bringing breeding people in to turn them back out to be either worse than what they came in, or to be nothing, so that they will find their way right back in, unless right back in. the families kick in. Right, the families have to kick in, have to support their loved ones, have to try to make a difference in their loved one's life, even if it feels like you're hitting a brick wall. You still have to try. Yes, yes. Well, we want to thank Rain for her series of great questions and interaction with Mona Lisa. Um, and and great I want, voice. Yeah, yes, yes. She has radio <laughs> voice. You yeah, potential radio young voice. lady. 
Um, <laughs> just want to ask you, Rain, what state are you from? I'm I'm actually in Tampa, Florida. Okay, okay. Okay. So, the Sunshine State. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. And the other question is, do you actually have that experience of having a child incarcerated or know someone that's very close to you that's in prison? I I do not have a child, uh, but I I do know what it feels like to have to visit someone that you love um, in prison. So it's it's mm-hmm. I, I feel for Mona Lisa, and I can't even imagine what it would 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 feel like to have your your child. And I I don't know if she has any other children, but I I can't even imagine what it would feel like to have to go through that. So uh, keep fighting, and and I hope that her daughter doesn't have to serve the full ten years. Absolutely. She's too young. Thank for you, that. Ryan. You know, people make mistakes. That's right. Okay, keep listening, and we're going to continue on with our conversation. Uh, God bless. Thank you. So, um, Mona Lisa, you didn't get a chance to talk about in depth what you experienced while you was in there. You touched on it just now about the heroin, but just go a little bit into that, and then let's move into your book, and then give us your social media connections so everyone can reach out to you. And what's coming up? What are you working on? Sure. Um, so being in uh, jail for 60 days in uh, Clark County, Indiana, first mm. and foremost, was 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 absolutely what not, I, what not what I expected. I mean, the uh, profile and the um, layout of the type of people that were in there was a little shocking. It was pre- predominantly white. Uh, I would say it was 50 percent white um, and about 20 percent Latino. Uh, and then the other what, 30, 40 percent. Uh, was crossed between Asians and blacks, and I was completely shocked, first and foremost, that that was the makeup of the jail. The majority of the people uh, that were in that jail were ranging from different types of crimes, mainly from uh, armed robbery to drug addiction uh, to drug usage to drug sales. I saw baby killers. Um, I saw molesters, uh, women molesters. Now, that kind of threw me for a loop as well. Um, I saw... um, um, murderers, and I had a chance to sleep next to all of these people uh, throughout the time I was there in open dormitory situations. When we first got there, it was in cells, and it kind of felt like it was a little bit more palatable because at least when that door shut, I kind of felt like, okay, nothing's going to happen. But when you sleep in an open dormitory situation, it's like you got one eye open, um, not because for any reason, then I had never been into anything like this. I did not know what to expect. The first week that I was there uh, in the open dormitory, someone sent me a real nice message. They stole my pants while I was asleep. Mm. And what that means when you come to jail is that just recognize you may think you're the boss, but there is a boss in here, and you will submit, and we're going to show you how you're going to submit by taking your pants. And um, regardless to me throwing tizzy hizzy fits up in there, demanding that the, that the sheriff or anybody come in and talk to me because I had to buy those pants because they only give you a jumper and then you have to buy your own clothes. Um, you know, I, I demanded that somebody find those pants because if there's cameras everywhere, why can't they find my pants? They never could find my pants, didn't do anything about it, didn't give me another pair, just left me in there mm-hmm. like that. That drove me crazy because that, that really says more than just a pair of pants. When you're in there and you have absolutely nothing, and mm. somebody takes a pair of your pants, you're about ready to hurt somebody. It's good to yeah. go down. Yes. 
Yes. But do you react that way? I mean, do you do you react that way? You like it's going down. I mean, if you fight, I mean, what what? There's no holes barred, so to speak. Who's going to stop it? Who's going to help you? Absolutely. And you know, after about seven days, I became literally sleep deprived because they never they never go to sleep around there. Between the drugs, they stay up all night doing drugs and screaming and partying, and then in the daytime they only sleep a little bit. And it's like people are on different schedules, so you never sleep. And after that happened, of course, I felt like I needed to stay awake, you know, to kind of watch my stuff. So things got really, really crazy for me. And after seven days of being sleep deprived, I turned into a, a, a completely different person. I'm going to basically say I went into survivor mode. mode, And now I understand what that feels like and what that looks like and, and, and how, that, how that is perceived internally and externally. You know, um, you, people don't know what, we, what those people go through when you go in there. Mm-hmm. You have got mm-hmm. to change. You come into a different state of mind, and God forbid there's no family involved that never balances you out. You could turn into a monster. Right, right, right. Well, I'll just tell you, two weeks ago when they transferred my son up to uh, Attica, um, you know, that's a pretty well-known uh, max uh, facility, but they didn't send him to the max. They sent him to the, uh, I guess it's a um, next thing down from a max but he said the day one he walks in there, he said there was at least um, two or three incidents where people got slashed and cut. And so he, oh. in his mind, he was like, man, what is this? He realized mm-hmm. quickly that that this facility um, was uh, opening its doors to those who were um, doing bit, um, long-term bids. They, I guess there was an overflow. They were coming in. Then you had really young guys coming in who might have been 18, 19 years old, like the kitty farm coming into this prison. So it became very volatile, you know, just the different energies that were rolling in this prison. So I said, well, how are you going to handle it? He said, I'm going to stay to myself and I'm going to do my time. Smart. You know, I'm, you know, and, uh, you know I, I'm not, you know, I'm not having it. You know I mean? I'm straight up, you know, my, my son, he, he can hold his own, but you know, still in all, when you are alone in there, it could be tough, but you have to have that conviction that you're going to be to yourself and mind your business. And um, Right, and people say all the time, you know, you can't really do that. That'll make you single out. That's not true. That's absolutely – the lower and under the radar, radar you stay. You t- people, tell your family members that. Tell them stay under the radar. Stay to themselves. You can do it. You will do it. It is possible. It's better that you do it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So your likelihood of staying out of trouble – um, you know, because I think uh, in his last bid he did, he wound up spending a great deal of time in what we call isolation or in the hole. Or we had all kind of little mm. names. He's 23 hours in a, in, a, in a cell because, you know, uh, I guess on two or three different occasions, dudes tried him and he, he wound up hurting a few folks, you know, uh, uh, and down to he became a danger. But he, he simply said, I was just defending myself. You know, no one's going to disrespect me. You know, I'm not going to have it. And so he, for 23 hours a day, for months on end, sometimes he would be in a in, in a prison cell, you know, by himself instead, of, you know, and, and not with the regular population because of that, those mm. incidents and everything. And, uh, now, there's a different mindset that those that, that, that happens to, to one once they go into isolation, even when they come back into population. And, you know, I, I will send you the research on it because there is a different – you're going to have a different person now than you've ever mm-hmm. had before, regardless of what they're telling you. 
It's yeah. like that commercial uh, that they have on TV where they're holding up the happy sign in front of their face, but behind them they're really, really sad. You, yeah. You're going you're gonna to experience some things that, that um, if you can see the signs and symptoms up front, you'll be mm-hmm. able to determine what isolation does to a person. That's why it's so inhumane because we are not as humans created to be put into, uh, first of all, prison, and secondly, isolation. It's just not right. the way we're made up. Right. And because of that, it really takes a toll on the psyche um, of, of any human, whether it be female or male. Mm-hmm. Now, since you touched on that, once you had that 60-day period where you were incarcerated, when you came home, how did you deal with your psyche to get yourself, you know, into a, a state of normalness, if, 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 if you will? Well, I feel like a, a total wimp now that I've been home. Um, and I look back at exactly what happened to me. Um, I went through, you know, first of all, what I call uh, isolating myself in the free world. I went through a, a state and period of time, which was almost lasted almost five to six months, where I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything. I even moved my, my office, just not, not my whole studio and all that stuff, but just my own office into my home because I started to isolate myself and put myself into a prison. Uh, because I kind of felt guilty for living free after experiencing what I experienced. I didn't mm. know I was going through that until I went to get, until the show provided us with uh, some psychological PTSD help. Um, and then I realized I was experiencing PTSD and had been experiencing it for some time. I actually wrote a, a chapter about that in, a, in the book. Mm. So, so even you... though it was volunteer for you, even though you volunteered, you still went through that whole psychological entrapment that people locked up go through. Mhm. Even yeah, though you I knew think, you were coming out. Right. Even you know, I think that you know, you know how that old movie says you I can't tell you the truth cuz you can't handle the truth. Well, let me tell you, Mona can't handle the truth. Okay? Mm-hmm. She can't. What I saw, what I experienced, I could not handle. Because I am a change agent. When I speak, things change. When I move, things change. When I think, things change. And while I was in there, I couldn't change anything. When I came out, I'm still changing things, but it's, I mean, I I couldn't change everything I wanted to change. And it's very, very, very slow, the kind of changes that we're making. But, you know, to not be able to affect anything and to change anything really, really messes with your psyche, especially Mm. when you know the truth. Wow. So Mona Lisa, with all the I think uh the what's it, the Rockefeller laws to be reversed or something, I, I'm not too uh astute with this, but I hear that there's gonna be a lot of uh inmates being released shortly in the next couple of years because of those um faulty drug laws, whatever. Um so we're gonna have an influx of young men and women coming home from what would you suggest we do as parents uh, in particular to help these young people get themselves, that's not even young, but some older people as well, get themselves readjusted into society. Well, I'm going to say something that's probably not going to sit well with a lot of people, but I'm going to say it because I know for a fact it does work. And this is what we as an organization um, advocate on behalf of. First of all, look at yourself. It's not about the inmate right now. Look at you. Figure out who you are and know who you are. 
And on top of that, make sure you're doing as much personal development as you possibly can to help you get over the guilt and the shame, to know if you're experiencing PTSD, to know if you have any type of mental illness, even yourself. Should it be bipolar? Should it be depression? Should it be schizophrenia? Any of the above. Maybe you're just um, a a jealous-hearted person. I mean, whatever it is that you have within you, Figure out for yourself how to maintain and keep keep you on a level playing field because once you can keep yourself level and you keep yourself in the right mind space, then you can truly parent your children in a way that they will respect you and honor you and look at you and see that you cannot be moved, not this time. Don't let manipulative skills um, become uh, the primary focus of your relationship with your loved ones. Um, Mm. Really study and learn about manipulation because they are going to be masters at it. That is the lifestyle they have to lead. It's not that they want to be these people. It's not that they may even be from, may even be aware that they're operating in this in this um, fashion. Uh, some of them, it just becomes a way of life. It's just like with some of us who eat healthy and exercise every day. It may not be something you even have to think about at some point or another in your life. It becomes just a habit. It's the same thing with people who come out of prison. They have been habitually institutionalized and made to think, act, and and be a certain way. So familiarize yourself with that type of behavior, and it's basically formed around manipulation. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and then the last thing I would say is get my ebook. Um, it's just volume one and volume two, three, four, and five is coming out, and they'll keep coming out until I tackle every single issue that I think a family needs to know about helping uh, a loved one that's incarcerated and also helping themselves, which is my primary thought process. Help you first. Like when the plane um, uh, lets go of the oxygen mask, what do they say? Put it on you first before mm-hmm. you put it on your child. Absolutely. So let's get let's get ourselves straight. Let's get strong. What is the name of the ebook, and how can people get it? It's called My Tips for the Journey, and you can go to mytipsforthejourney.com, and it helps parents to navigate and family members to navigate through multiple things: emotional, financial, judicial, judicial, and criminal. Uh, scenarios that you're going to encounter um, all the way down to going to see your kids or your family member at the visitation. You guys know you can't just show up there. No. You have to go through a process. It's mm-hmm. a process. Mm-hmm. I showed up. I was like, hey, Mona Lisa here. I'm coming to see my kids. And they're like, and your point? You don't own nothing. Oh. You don't run nothing. In fact, they'll system. tell you what to wear. What to wear. You can't right. wear certain <laughs> Yes. No yes. flip flops. No leggings. No boobs showing. No that. no skin tight pants for men. No pants sagging. I dare you to wear shorts. And yeah. come in there with some ripped t shirts or ripped jeans. You're not getting in. Not getting in. Don't wear no red. Don't wear no blue. You know. Wow. Okay. Exactly. There's rules, yeah. man, and that kind of stuff can can devastate you and make you never want to go back again. And then what happened? If you'd have just done the homework up front, you'd still be there to see your loved one. You gotta fight. If you mm-hmm. really want to be there to help your loved one, you got to fight just as hard as they fight. Yeah. You can't just give yes. up. Yes. Wow. Well, we are getting close to that time where we have to sign off, but this has been a wonderful experience with you, Mona Lisa. We really respect your strength, your just just your your vision and your plot that you your plight that you have had. And uh, we wish the best for you and your family, and for your organization. 
Mona, um, can you give us the uh, ways that people can contact you? I'm sure there are many listeners out there who are just a little too shy to talk and need to speak to you one-on-one. It's okay. MyTipsForTheJourney.com is where you'll get the free ebook. MyTipsForTheJourney.com. Of course, you can find us on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook at Parents with Incarcerated Children. And then you can check out our website at pwicus.org. That's P is in Parents with Incarcerated Children, us.org. Wait a minute, give me that one again. Wait, wait, wait. I can't find my. I'm on Facebook trying to put all this information in, and I lost my spot. That's okay. Parents with incarcerated children. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's your. That's all of our social media handles. Okay. And then the website is p w i c u s dot org. And that's acronyms. If you can't remember what that stands for, just say Parents with Incarcerated Children in the United States.org. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So in July, when you begin to wrap that up or launch what we talked about earlier, there's an initiative coming down and some kind of movement should culminate in July. Please come back on Mm -hmm. the show and tell us more about that and embrace Sierra and give her our love. Absolutely. Thank you. And same for your son. Thank you. We'll be you. lifting him up and, and we will be here for him if he needs our help as well. Thank awesome. you so very much. Wow. This has been another exciting Keys 107 show. And without you, Mona Lisa, we would have not been able to bring people such a substantive um, conversation. Thank you once again. And thank you. All you guys take care. All right. All of our listeners know that all of our shows are archived and you can tune in to all of the past shows, all 450 of them, via iTunes at The Keys 107. You can listen via blogtalkradio.com slash The Keys 107. Or, and most importantly, you can go to our website at www.thekeys107network.com. Dot com and learn more about me and Brother James and if you are interested in coming on to one of our advertisement opportunities go to our advertisement page you can look at our pictures of some of the things that we've been in, in um, connection with and we'd like to give a special tail up or shout out to Deja Vu on WBLS we had the awesome pleasure of spending a day with her last week and getting some tips on what it takes to do that radio stuff behind the scenes. If you have any questions or you have a show that interests you or a guest that you want to see, hear about, email us at suggestions at thekeys107network.com. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google+, at thekeys107. I am your co-host, Rafika. <laughs> that was all one sentence. Yes, and I'm Brother James. And we want to... <laughs> We want to we want to say to you all, have a pleasant night, and may God bless you with week, love, peace, and happiness. Well, yeah, James, and don't forget, next week uh, Haru is coming on, and he's going to be talking about what the economy like is like, the pros and the cons of this new Trump economy era. So tune in Thursday the twentieth at eight thirty p.m. Our financial guru. Haru Niket is going to be live here giving you more information on how to get your business together. And 
Wait, before you go, <laughs> we're going to do a special segment coming very shortly on dreams. What dreams yes. are all about. And we're going to let you know it's going to be high powered. So and and let that, me give you a little insight, a little insight, a little, a little teaser. We're going to be talking about sex in dreams. Oh, oh boy. Okay. Oh, boy. That oh might boy. be a hot topic. <laughs> Dream on, my folks. Dream on. Ah, and you're listening to the music of South Africa's Pride and Joy, Ernie J. Smith. And this is one of our favorites here on the Keys 107 Network called Odette Song. We're going to close out. See you next week. All right. Good night, y'all.
You're listening to The Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities in the pursuit of love, peace, and happiness with your host, Rafika and Brother James. 